0: to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.blchurch.tv. And thank you, Scott. Give it up for Scott for filling in. As well as our worship team. I love... Gathering with the body of Christ and coming before the Lord, and it's so awesome to be able to do that with my family. My uh, wife has uh, got so many anointings and gifts on her, My daughter playing drums. Aaron, um, Ermes was singing along with us, such a value to our team. I, I just appreciate the faithfulness of our people. and uh, it's such a humbling thing to gather together. Well, I'm excited. Are you excited? We're starting a new series today. We finished our series that took us about a year to get through uh, called The Great Romance. We're actually entering a new series that will be romantic. It's a, it's a new series that we're excited about. It's called Greatest Hits. And, uh, and I'll let you in on where that comes from. But this is a much needed topic in our world today and in our church. Because we live in the world, and uh, this is an issue that is affects all of us, is going to affect some of us, a- and uh, so it's an important thing to think about. When we talk about uh, greatest hits, we are pulling from the Song of Solomon and also Genesis and other key passages of the Bible to, to unpack this subject for us. Now, everyone has a favorite musical artist. Uh, let me show of hands. Who you have a favorite band or a favorite singer? You know, if you've if you got one, raise your hand. Most everybody is going to do that. You remember when you were first introduced to that artist or that song? Like, you're listening to the radio, and, and you got your windows down, you're thinking you're cool, and then all of a sudden this song comes on, and it's like captivates, and you're like, this is my jam, man, you know? And, and you don't care who's, who's watching. You're like you're head bobbing as you're driving in the car, you know, busting a move. And, uh, and it just like overtakes your life. You, know, you get home, you, you, you like look up who's on online. Back in the day when we, it was really rough, you had to wait by the stereo for your song to come on the radio and then hit play and record at the same time in order to record the song so that you could, didn't have to wait another hour and a half for them to play it again. You know? So you, you just love that, and you listen to the song over and over and over again. And then the band comes out with another uh, another song. And you're like, man, this is awesome too. So you go out and buy the record. And you just listen to it over and over and over again. And then before long, they release another CD. And so you say, well, I like the first one. Let me go check out the second one. So you get that CD. And then now you have a new jam because all the old ones have been blown out. You've you've burnt them out. You don't really care for them anymore. But the new ones, they're awesome. right? So you go through the same process over and over and over again. And if the band or the artist is lucky enough to have a career in, in in the music business long enough and able to put out multiple records, at some point they will take a collection of all of their favorite songs they've written or all the songs that the fans were you know excited about that put them on the charts. They'll put them together in a compli- compilation called the greatest hits album. And what are they saying? They're saying these are the best songs that we've written. These are the best. These are the ones that everyone loved the most. Well, King Solomon, who was the wisest man to ever live, was not just a really smart king. He was also a creative. He he had a poetic streak in him. In 1 Kings 429 uh, through 30 and also verse 32, The Bible says God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind, like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. So Solomon not only was running a nation, he was... Writing hit records, like he was—he was writing music. He was speaking proverbs. Now, everyone who has grown up with a dad in the home know that every father comes preloaded with dad jokes. Amen. Uh, like it's—it's it's a thing. You've got—you've got jokes. Dads have jokes. Dads also have another thing. They—they they have wise sayings. They have these these catchphrases that they tend to say um, over and again that are packed with wisdom that you don't really realize are wise until you become a dad yourself or to that age and are experiencing the same the same circumstances that, that brought that phrase to life. So I'm going to give you a couple of dad phrases that are popular out today. One is never show a fool half a job. Never show a fool half a job. What's that mean? That means don't show somebody who's going to judge your work, your work before it's finished. Right? Never show a fool half a job. Another one is, and probably one of my most favorite dadisms or catchphrases, especially since I have girls, says, don't get married until you're 35. And I would change it to, don't date until you're 35. Like, don't even consider it, right? This is uh, my personal favorite. Um, Another is, put family first. Why wisdom there? Another is live simply with integrity. What's that mean? It means you don't have to have everything in the world. You don't have to own all the stuff and have all the toys because usually in order to do that, you're going to have to make some compromises to get it. So live simply but with integrity. In In Proverbs, Solomon himself says it's better to have little with godly character than a lot without integrity, a lot without godly character. Because you'll compromise. Another famous saying is, you can be replaced. I don't know if you've heard that one. You can be replaced. I remember uh, back in the day watching the Bill Cosby show. Uh, Mr. Cosby told his son, I brought you into this world, and I can take you back out. So true. I may have felt that way a time or two. Uh, My dad used to always tell me, we don't always get what we want. We don't always get what we want. We want a lot of things when we're young. Other dads might say it like this: deal with it. You know, you might have heard that one in your home. Deal with it, you know. So these are these are sayings, these are catchphrases that the dads like to use. Imagine living in Solomon's house with Solomon as your father. Three thousand catchphrases. Three thousand wise sayings. That is a lot. And a lot of those are caught in the book of Proverbs. We can read the book of Proverbs and hear a proverb after proverb, situation after situation. Solomon had something wise to embed into our lives, to give into our lives. Not only was he wise in writing Proverbs, writing these catchphrases, these nuggets of wisdom, but he wrote a thousand and five songs. Who has time for that? Right, like how many hours did you have to sit at your instrument and like hum in tunes to write that many songs? But if you think of an artist or a band, most of them are lucky to have maybe ten albums at the end of their career. If you average ten songs per album and ten albums, that's only a hundred songs. He had a thousand and five. That means like a hundred albums that he wrote. This man, he 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 was gifted by God. And in the Song of Solomon, chapter one. Here's what Solomon writes. This is a collection of songs, 117 verses over eight chapters, written like a play or an anthology. Here's what Solomon says about this book. He says, the song of songs, which is Solomon's. These are the songs above all the songs. These are the greatest hits of everything I have ever written. More than anything I've ever composed, these are the best. And what is the Song of Solomon? It is a book about the passionate love he had for his wife. It's a story of romance between a husband and a wife, the pitfalls of relationships, struggles, and redemption. And these are the best songs. Many pastors and teachers don't touch this book. But here's why I believe it's in there. Because God wants your marriage to be like the greatest hits album. And God knows the brokenness in this world. And he knows the things you're going to face. And he didn't want to leave you without a guide on how to make sweet music with your bride. And with your groom. This is the greatest hits. We're going to have some fun with this series My wife is going to be joining me to help teach and discuss some of the topics we're going to address, and I think it's important to really have two perspectives. When I counsel people uh, in relationships and they meet with me, it's, it's good that I have my wife with me many times because often I'm able to share from the man's perspective to the wife the circumstance they're dealing with and do it in a way that doesn't have all their relational garbage in the way that prevents you from hearing the heart of the husband or, or the man, and my wife is able to do that for the wife. She's able to hear, uh, relate to the husband, the perspective of the wife, so that he can hear the heart behind the issue, so that um, the the husband can b- wake up and realize, oh, my wife's not as crazy as I thought she was. You know, she she's not as as cuckoo for cocoa puffs. Like this is nor- this is how normal women are. Okay, and then, then I can deal with this, right? So she's going to be joining me, and it's going to be awesome. And I appreciate her. This is, uh, this is something we've been talking about for years, doing, and finally God has brought it to fruition, and I'm excited to process these truths with you and my wife, and I know it's going to be a blessing about us all. Now, here's something we're going to do that's unique in this series that we've not done before. Go ahead and put the number on the screen, Reese. We're going to invite you to text message in questions that you would like us to answer over the course of this series as we're studying, because I believe we need to make this as real as possible. But here's one caveat. These questions will remain confidential and anonymous, and no, I will not call your spouse out in the middle of service to try to fix them for you, okay? Even if you want me to do that, I'm not going to, to do that. It's going to be completely confidential, but we want to put what's on your heart in the message. We want to address it so that God can speak into your relationship And maybe do it in a way that you're not accomplishing at home in the midst of your struggles. And I believe God is going to get a lot of victory and a lot of breakthrough uh, through this series. We're in this together. And I also want to say this as well. My wife and I, contrary to popular belief, my wife and I do not have a perfect marriage. You think that's a duh reality, right? But you wouldn't believe how many people think because we have a position in a church that we've got it all figured out, that we have it all together. We don't. There are oftentimes we have what I call fierce fellowship. And it takes a minute for us to get on the same page, right? So we're not going to be up here saying, look at us. We've got it all figured out. Here's how we can fix you. This is us talking from the word of God, what God's word says about the stuff we all struggle with so that we can encourage and build each other up. We need your prayers for our marriage just as much as you need ours. We need you to encourage us in our marriage just as much as we want to encourage you. We want to encourage you young people before you're married not to follow the same footsteps and mistakes we made and now have to deal with the consequences of. All right. So we're all in this together no matter where we are, what level we are. You know, some of you here today, and I I believe, again, God is going to do some powerful things. In our marriages, in our relationships. Some of you here today, you've really been seeking God in your life. You've been pursuing the gifts of the Spirit. And here's why this subject, I believe, especially for Christians, is so important. You've been seeking God. You want to get closer to God. You want God to use you in greater ways. You're praying for big things. You're pursuing His presence in your life, trying to press into His presence in worship, trying to do things that you've not done before, to encounter God in ways you've not encountered Him before. Praying uh, about many things, coming to prayer night, coming to life group. But it feels like many of your prayers have been going unanswered or that you're hitting a ceiling. Like, like God, I'm, I'm doing what I think is, is what I'm supposed to be doing, but I don't feel like I'm gaining any traction or I'm getting anywhere. I, I I don't see these things working in my life. God, I don't see you working more in my life, though I'm seeking you. And you've promised, right? Jesus said, if you seek me, you'll what? You'll find me. So you've promised these things, but I don't see the promise being fulfilled in my life. Something is blocking the the fulfillment of your promise in my life, and I don't know what it is. And we get an insight into what may be the cause of that in Malachi chapter 2. In Malachi chapter 2, God is Again, as he did all throughout the Old Testament, he's calling the nation to repentance. He's like, you've got this stuff out of order. And because it's out of order, it's causing a, a block or a break in our relationship. And he's kind of coming down on them for their spiritual adultery. He he tells them he's no longer going to accept their sacrifice. He's not even going to answer their prayers because... The first reason is because they've turned to other gods and now they are including worship of other gods in what should have been a monogamous relationship. But then he goes on to tell them about the second reason why he's not going to accept their worship or even answer their prayers. In Malachi chapter 2, beginning at verse 13, here's what he says He says, The second thing you do is you cover the Lord's altar with tears with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Think about what they're doing. They've got this stuff out of order in their life, yet they're still coming to God. They're falling down on the altar, the place of worship, and saying, God, why aren't you doing what I'm asking you to do? Why aren't you blessing me the way I thought you said you were going to bless me? Why why isn't the reality of your promises being fulfilled in my life? And and think of it. Like many of us, we come to church week after week. We sing the songs. We pray the prayers. We give our tithe. And yet our life is a mess. The, The issues we have with our spouse aren't going away. And we think, God, where are you? Where are you? verse 14 he says you say why does he not accept our prayer and our worship he says because the lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless though she is your companion and your wife by covenant not only was their personal life out of order but their marriages were out of order And God is saying, because you have this over here and it's manifesting in your marriage relationship, I don't accept your praise and I'm not listening to your prayers. Let that sink in for a minute. Not only were they forsaking God, but they were forsaking their wives. I believe many issues in our marriages first break down with personal spiritual issues. We've got personal things we're choosing to ignore or we just haven't been able to find victory over. But the second thing is not just our personal relationship with God, but that those struggles begin to work themselves out in our marriage relationships. And because we're ignoring it in our personal lives, we also are ignoring it in our marriage. Like harboring unforgiveness and resentment, uncontrolled anger, criticism—all the things we read in the Bible, we shouldn't be doing. We do it and we excuse it or we overlook it, and then we're crying out to God: "God, where are you? Where, where are you in this marriage? Where, where are you? This is—you're not fulfilling your duty." First Peter three seven. It says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so your prayers may not be what? Hindered. So this isn't just Old Testament. We're now in the New Testament, post-resurrection. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is telling Peter to tell the church, husbands, you better watch how you speak to and treat your wives, because it will create a deaf ear before the throne. Why am I praying and not getting victory? The first place we need to look is how are we treating our spouses? There's an important reason to why this is an important place of self-examination, not just what's in my life, Do, do I need to surrender more to the Lord, but also how am I treating my spouse and the answer is found in the book of Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. And there are many applications we're going to make throughout this series out of these couple of verses, but something I want to draw away from this text this morning that I want to zero in on, there's a reason why your relationship with your spouse matters and is important with how it affects your relationship with God. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 28. 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is this is a very, um, I would say, relevant and, and familiar passage of Scripture. Many of us have heard this time and time again. But there's one thing we can discover in this passage is that In this passage, we discover the purpose for humanity's existence. The reason why there are people at all on the earth. The reason why we're created, the phrase, in the image. In Genesis 1.27, scholars also point to a better translation would be as the image versus uh, in the image. Uh, Many people try to attribute, well, because we have a mind, body, soul, we're like God, that's the image, or because we have emotions and a will that we have an image. But more importantly, rather than a set of attributes, we were created as the image of God, which means to be human is to be made in God's image. You don't have to have brain function to be in the image of God. You are in the image of God because you are created as a human being. And as you are created in the image of God, you are to be God's reflection of his nature and his character on the earth. As his image bearer, To be human is to be made in the likeness of God, to represent Him over the face of the entire globe, to have children, multiply in numbers, cover the face of the earth, and extend the kingdom of God from Eden to the four corners of the earth, across the entire globe. So what began in Eden was supposed to spread across the whole earth. In order to fulfill this mandate, to cover the earth with God's glory, it did not take just one human. It took two in covenant relationship because two cannot multiply, or one cannot multiply. It took two. So both man and woman were individually designed, but they were intricately connected. You're individually designed, but you're intricately connected together. And we would need each other to accomplish this very important task. The calling of marriage is connected to our purpose for why we exist. You're created in God's image, and together, the two of you, image God and help spread his glory over the face of the earth. You cannot do that alone. And this is why it's important that before you get married, you make sure that the two of you share the same purpose. We're reading in a a devotional book, and this is a a point that they made, that if you are not heading in the same direction as the person you're dating and potentially with, you need to strongly reconsider that relationship. If you're growing spiritually and they aren't, if you want to go into ministry and they don't, if you want to be a missionary in a foreign field and they want to stay here and work in the automotive industry, you need to strongly reconsider that relationship because you're already not living for the same purpose. And to be a married couple, to be in covenant relationship is to have one life, the two become one, one purpose, one hope, one vision for the future. And as we live toward purpose in our marriages, primarily it's to fill the earth with the glory of the Lord. If our marriages fail, so does the breakdown or the program of God for the kingdom To flourish in that area. Just think about uh, what happened in Genesis chapter 3 when Satan entered the picture. He entered the picture to disrupt and destroy God's plan to fill the earth with his glory. If I can disrupt this marriage, then I can disrupt God's plan to put his glory over the whole globe, and then maybe I got a shot. And so, what's he do? He brings sin into the mix to create disruption, to create struggle. And as we look at what has happened to the earth as it's gone away from God's original intention and we see how sin's been able to permeate uh, even in uh, the earth and culture and and just what happens when families are broken, uh, again, it's important that we recognize that statistics don't mean every individual case is the same, but it creates a personal picture of what happens when things are not in alignment with God's will and plan. The disruption of the marriage brings down, breaks down the culture in society. In, in 2010, a Harvard University study, here's what it says about um, the breakdown of the family. In the U.S., births in 2010, 40% of U.S. births were to unmarried parents. Though most parents were in romantic relationships at the time when their children were born, about half were living together or cohabitating. Unmarried parents are typically optimistic about their future together, including the likelihood they'll eventually marry. But these hopes are often unrealized. Most are no longer in romantic relationships five years after the child is born. So we're, we're, we're not entering covenant relationship. We're just finding somebody to love. We're entering into that kind of relationship. We're having children with hopes to do it right at one day, but those hopes usually never manifest. The disruption of unmarried parents' relationships is significant because children growing up in households that don't include both their biological parents are at greater risk for poor outcomes. And you can look at statistics and see our jails are filled with fatherless kids. That there is an increase in proclivity to antisocial behavior when both mom and dad are not in the home. Again, this is not every child. But it is prevalent in our society when we get away from God's original intention and just do things based upon how we feel or what we think. Why is a child at greater risk when they don't have both biological parents? Well, again, when the home is broken, it creates psychological and emotional damage that influences your perception. You think it's normal to have one parent at home. That's not normal. You think it's normal for certain things that's not normal, and so you begin to develop this dysfunctional perception that carries on into your life and your future family's lives. If, you're, if you've got two moms and two dads, then you're spending one weekend with one family and one weekend with another family, that's instability. That's not stable, and it's not normal. And so it creates things that need to be overcome. And again, there's grace for all of these circumstances. But when we get outside of God's original plan, this is the effect that it has on the society. We can see other issues with the breakdown of the family. Abusive parents tend to raise children who become abusive parents. Alcoholics tend to create children who become alcoholics and raise kids with addictions. You don't have to do a deep study in culture to see that these things are true. It's all over everywhere. Even my wife and I, when we're going through a diff- difficult relational season, you know, you just have seasons sometimes in your house where you just can't get on the same page. Anybody been like that? Where you just had, it's like a season. You're like, well, when is this going to stop? Because I'm ready to move on to good times, right? You just, it, there, there are times where I'm like, something is, like, needs to be uh, exercised out of this house because I'm saying this and you're hearing this and you're saying this and I'm hearing this and it's not the same. Like, it's just, we're just not hearing each other. And when we have those moments, it puts added stress on our kids. You begin to watch your kids become peacemaker and take responsibility for their parents when that's not their responsibility. And it's damaging to the kids, right? These things happen with the breakdown of the family. And this is Satan's goal, 100%, is to steal, kill, and destroy. And his easiest target is the family. It's the easiest target. Why? It's because our purpose is, is tied into our marriage relationship. A strong family unit means a strong reflector of God's image and glory in the earth. The good news is, even though we have an enemy who's trying hard to destroy your marriage relationship to affect future generations for the negative, we also have a God who's fighting hard for your marriage. We have a God who's fighting hard for your marriage, and God never loses a battle. Just as Jesus died to break the power of sin and save us from death, that same resurrection power, I want you to hear this today, that same resurrection power has the ability to breathe life into your relationship even when you feel like it's dead. He endured the cross to purify you, to make you holy as he is holy. He is fully invested in preparing you for the eternal marriage as the church comes together in unity with the the groom for all eternity. And your earthly marriage is a reflection of that heavenly marriage to come. God wants your marriage to be the gospel story. He wants in your marriage there to be redemption, restoration, And life. And so he's working hard in your marriage. God is going to fulfill his purpose for your life. Through your marriage, just as the Israelites in Malachi, too, had to get rid of some idols, some stinking thinking to do some repentance and submit themselves afresh to the Lord before they could be blessed. There might be today in your relationship, in your life, some areas you might need to reexamine, some mindsets you might need to shift, some behaviors you might need to stop and some behaviors you might need to start. To submit yourself again to the Lord to give Jesus some traction to begin raising the dead in your relationship. Just like they did in Malachi chapter 2. And there's one simple thing that I want to encourage you that you can start doing right now. No matter if your marriage is, you know, burning on all cylinders, things are great, or you're on the brink of collapse. There's one thing you can start doing now to both breathe life into your relationship and strengthen it so you don't get to that place where you're on the verge of collapse. And if you start doing this, no matter what, I believe you're going to begin closing doors that the enemy has had access to your life to begin tearing down your house. And I believe if you're struggling today, chances are that you're not doing this, or maybe you were at a time, but you're not now. The easiest way to guard and begin breathing new life into your marriage is to invite Jesus into it. The greatest and easiest way to start breathing life into your marriage and to guard your marriage from collapse in the future is invite Jesus into it. Michael Todd, in his book Relationship Goals, he um, said this. He says, just because God was there in the beginning when you said your vows, it does not guarantee that he's there today. Think about that for a minute. On our wedding day. What do we do like we, we stressed out the week of all the preparations the bride basically the guys get off easy we just got to show up in a tux the bride takes care of everything else right. right. So we got off easy, but you got all the preparations. you got the 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 white dress, the archway, the flowers picked out, uh, the music picked out. you know everything that you have prepared. You've got all this stuff. And then you get in front of an audience before a pastor in front of God and these witnesses. And we take these covenant vows and, and we say now our relationship is under God. It is it is in the marriage covenant. But just because we started with Jesus in the marriage doesn't mean he's at the center of our marriage. So many Christians believe God exists, but they act like he doesn't. Craig Rochelle wrote a book years ago called The Christian Atheist, talking about how we say certain things, but we live as if we don't believe what we're saying. And so many of us believe, well, we're Christians. We believe in Jesus. Jesus is in my life, so He's obviously in my marriage. And that's not necessarily true. In Matthew nineteen six, Jesus said this. He says, "They're no longer two, but one flesh. Wherefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate." We understand that the two become one flesh in the union. That there's this there's this mystery behind the marriage bed. There's a mystery behind the marriage relationship. That, that happens when the husband and wife come together. Husbands, when you got married, your, your body stopped being your own, and it became the wife's body. Your wife has authority over your body. Wives, when you became married, your body became your husband's, and his authority is now reigning over your body. Your, your body doesn't belong to, your, to yourself. This is a spiritual significance about this this relationship. When God puts you together, there was a supernatural and spiritual thing that takes place. You have given yourselves one to another, and there's now a deep emotional and spiritual connection between spouses. But more so than the physical connection, Malachi chapter 2 goes on as he's talking to the nation of Israel. He says, Why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you've been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Here's one of the most significant verses in all of Scripture regarding marriage. In verse 15, he says, Did he not make them one with what? With a portion of his spirit in their union. What made you married was not the vows. That you took. What made you married is when your spirit and her spirit were merged together and wrapped up in the Holy Spirit. What God has put together, let no one separate. What God has put together. When God brought you together, you took your vows, you came into the bedroom, you used part of the Holy Spirit to merge your spirits together like a divine rope and you became spiritually tied. This is one of the reasons why divorce is so painful and why God hates divorce, because you start to tear apart what God has put together. Your union was blessed. He put you together and blessed you so he could fulfill his purpose for your life, not just your singular life, but the life that you would create together, one brand new life. So you're intricately tied together. And even as God is the one that's put you together, that doesn't mean God is at the center of your life. Galatians 5.16, he says, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. How many of you know that when you received Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit came to live within you? How many of you know that? You became a temple of the Holy Spirit, Right. Everyone have God living inside? You, you have the voice of God? You have a relationship with Jesus? So important, right? When you accepted Christ to come live in your life, the Holy Spirit came to live with inside of you. That's how salvation takes place. How many of you know the Holy Spirit can be in you, but not be in charge of you? What's he say? He says, walk in the Spirit. It means let the Spirit guide your life. So the Spirit of God can be in you, but he cannot be in charge. When he's not in charge, what's it say? We give in to the desires of the flesh. When he is in charge, when we're following what he's saying, we don't give in to the desires of the flesh. It's a choice. It's an option. He can be in you but not in charge of you. What's this tell us about our marriage? It means he can be present in our marriage but not be the foundation of our marriage, not be the center of our marriage, not be the influencer of our marriage. We can look at the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. All of these fruits that are produced in your life with the relationship with the Holy Spirit. And if we look at our ro- marriages and our relationship and we're not seeing fruit of love growing or peace growing or patience growing or kindness growing, gentleness growing, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control growing, then we need to step back and ask, who's really in charge? Who's at the foundation? Who's leading? If the Holy Spirit is leading. We're going to see these fruit. If he's not, we'll have greater temptations and greater opportunity for the enemy to sow dysfunction in our lives. You see, Jesus doesn't just want to be there in the beginning of your marriage. He wants to be in the mix every day. Proverbs 3, 9, and 6 says, Don't trust in your own understanding, but trust in the Lord with all your heart. And in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. He wants to be at the center. He wants to be your foundation. He wants to be your leader. He wants you to follow his example. Why? Because he came to give us a rich and satisfying life. He knows where sin leads. He knows where the flesh leads. And he has come to lead us into something greater and something better. If you are struggling in your marriage on any level, big or small, The best thing you can do to begin changing the culture in your home right now in your relationship is taking your spouse by the hand and praying together to invite the Holy Spirit to come and be the center of your relationship, to be the foundation, to acknowledge before God ways that you've not been including him in your conversations, in your decisions, your intimacy, even your conflicts, and surrender your marriage again Just like you did on your wedding day when you said vows before God to submit yourself again to him today and commit to changing the culture in your home by making time to pray with your spouse every day. Pray with your spouse every day. Very simple. According to the gospel project, the top 10 ways to improve your marriage. Here are three things they say will contribute to a happy marriage. Number one, pray together. Pray together. Eight out of ten couples who pray together almost every week or more, at least seventy eight percent say they're very happy or extremely happy in their relationship. By comparison, only sixty one percent who pray less frequently together report the same level of happiness. It's not an instant fix or a quick fix, but it does help. Number two, it says, make church attendance our priority. Couples who regularly go to church together report higher levels of happiness than those who don't. More than three in four regularly attending couples, 78%, say they are very happy or extremely happy in their relationship. You know, there's an epidemic today in, in church life of believers whose spouses don't come to church together. And it's usually the wife coming and the husband staying at home. It's an epidemic. And this is a simple thing that you can do to begin strengthening your relationship is not just praying together every day but coming to church together. And more so than coming to church together, number three is be involved in your church. Having friends who attend religious services increases a couple's likelihood of happiness. That means come and get involved. Serve, get in a life group, develop relationships. This will strengthen your marriage. This will begin to help... Change the culture. You'll be around people who can encourage you and relate with you and help you to uh, keep moving forward. So you see, prioritizing the Lord in your home will begin to manifest outside of the home. If you're prioritizing, prioritizing Jesus in the home, praying together, worshiping together, you're going to see that begin to manifest outside of the home. And the easiest way to breathe fresh life into your home, into your relationship, to let your love sing again, to go from a one-hit wonder on your way to a greatest hits album is to put Jesus at the center of your relationship. Begin praying with your spouse daily. My wife and I, we've struggled with this for a long time. We 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 were off to a great start and then we got away from it and we noticed that We were getting discombobulated and dysfunctional, and and God just put it on our hearts like we really need to focus on that. We need to make prayer a priority in our home. It's a defense against the way the enemy wants to work and move in your life. Start reading the Bible together and discussing what you're reading. You don't have to be a theologian, but you know English. The Bible's in English. You can talk about what you read, right? Simple things you can do to make Jesus at the center. Worship together, serve together. Make Jesus the center of your relationship, and new life will begin to rise. Now, Jesus said, with man, it's impossible, and you might be feeling like that today in your marriage, in your relationship. Man, this is impossible. Good news. Our God does the impossible. He's the God of the impossible. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead can begin to speak and raise new life in your relationship. You know, maybe you're here, and you're ready to give up on your marriage because you've run out of strength. You know, you've run out of strength because honestly, beloved, you're not strong enough. You're not strong enough. But there is one who is strong enough. And the word of God says those who wait and trust in the Lord will find new strength. They'll mount up wings like eagles. They'll walk and they won't faint. They'll run and they won't grow weary. There is one who is strong enough, who has enough hope help you stay in it until things work themselves out for good. You know, I love this. Uh, it's a quote from a, a song, but it's, but it's also uh, someone else's, I think, made the phrase popular. He said, if the story's not over, then, or if the story's not good, then the story's not over. It comes out of Romans 8.28. God works all things together for good for those who love him. If the story's not good, it's not over. God's still in it. He's still fighting. And the same God who brought you together. Is the same God that wants to bless your life. He wants to bless your marriage. And I believe Genesis 131 is a word that God wants to speak over every marriage in every household uh, in the world today. Genesis chapter 1, as we go through the days of creation, at the end of every day, God looked at what he saw that he made, and he said, that is what? That is good. Sun, moon, and stars, he looked at it, and he said, man, that's good. That's good. But at the end of day six, the day he performed the first marriage, here's what he says. And God saw everything that he made and behold, it was what? Very good. God wants your marriage to be not just good, but very good. He wants your marriage to be your greatest hits album. He wants to speak life over you today. He's not content with your marriage just being good. He wants it to be very good You know today I don't want to leave the single people out You know you might be here and you might be too young To even think about this kind of stuff Or maybe you're in that place of life where You're like man I wish I was married I wish I had somebody To have as a spouse And you might wonder what does this have to do with you Well Paul tells us in the book of Corinthians That singleness is a gift So whether you're young Or you're older The time you have right now as a single person is a gift. Why is it a gift? It's because you can fully devote yourself to the Lord and not be torn between pleasing another person and pleasing God. And my prayer and my hope through this series is that you develop some tools that will help benefit your relationship when the time comes. And Mark Driscoll, um, in a series on Song of Solomon years ago, he said this, he said, most people plan for the first day of the marriage Nobody plans for the last day of the marriage. How many of us put all that time and energy and effort into the first day? But how many of us have made a plan for the last day? How do we want to end? Do we want to end in the courthouse? Or do we want to end as old, saggy farts in the bed together, like at the end of the notebook, slobbering over each other, going to meet Jesus at the same time? Well, there's a way to get there. You know, I tell my wife often, I just want to grow old with you. I want to grow old with you. You know, when you've been faced in a moment where you don't have that option, things become very real. And the easiest thing you can do right now is put Jesus at the center. Submit yourself to the Lord. Begin putting Him at the center of your relationship. And if you're single today, the best thing you can do to future-proof your relationship is become the kind of person you would want to marry. Become the person now. Begin making decisions now to become the kind of person you would want to marry. If you don't want to marry a self-centered, entitled jerk, don't be one. Learn to serve. Learn to be generous. Learn to be humble. Be the kind of spouse that you would want to marry Put God first in your day. Wake up with Jesus in prayer and in meditating on scripture. Go to bed with the Lord. Put Christ first. Do everything you can. Serve. Get involved in your church so that when you meet that person, this is just life. This is just natural. And when you find that person, make sure they're doing the same thing so that your lives are growing together and not start off being divided and pulled apart. Don't settle for anyone that just comes by and has funny, fuzzy feelings in their stomach for you. Hold out for the one that God is calling for you, the one that God wants to bring to your life so that when the two of you come together in marriage that you can be what the scripture says. You can be completely naked without any shame. Between singleness and covenant of marriage is the time frame we gather all the stuff in our backpacks that we bring into our marriage relationships and you get to determine right now how much shame you're going to bring with you into your marriage. Begin guarding your heart Begin guarding your heart Become the type of spouse That you want to marry Make sure Jesus Is the foundation of your life And I believe God wants that for all of us When Adam knew his wife They were naked And they had no shame And these are the things That God wants to do He wants to begin Shifting culture In our marriages So that he can work The shame out And bring in the glory that our lives and our marriages can reflect his glory and when people see us they can look at us and be like man that's the relationship that's the kind of relationship I want to have. What's their secret? Why are they still in love and making out at 75? I don't get it. That's the kind of marriage God wants us to have. One that's passionately in love until death does us part. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes in just a moment as we go into a time of prayer. Here's We're going to open it up for prayer with the prayer team. But before we do, if you're married here today, here's what I would like you to do. If you're willing to take the challenge. You see, you know, Pastor Joey, you know, I'm a believer. I I believe in Jesus. You know, I love the Lord. But honestly, our marriage doesn't have Jesus at the center. We don't prioritize Jesus in our relationship. Yeah, we do shotgun prayers over meals, but that's about it. But we want to begin putting Jesus at the center. We want the Holy Spirit to be the foundation of our marriage. Then right now, just grab your wife's hand, grab your husband's hand. And we're going to pray. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a spouse, but you want the same thing. You want to have Christ at the center of your future relationship. And I'm going to invite you to put your hand over your heart. And for the next few moments, I just want you to be still before the Lord, and I want you to pray. If you're with your spouse, pray with your spouse. You can whisper. You don't have to be loud. But I want you to pray and just ask the Lord. First, ask His forgiveness. We're sorry for putting things before you. But today, we want to change the culture in our home. We want to shift. We want you to breathe life into our relationship. So we're committing today to put you at the center, to build our life on you. And then in just a moment, After a time and you have time to pray with your spouse, you have time to pray before the Lord, Tony's going to lead us in this song and our prayer team's going to come forward and we're going to just finish with some worship. Lord God, I just thank you for the couples here today. God, I thank you that you are fighting for us. Lord, that you want to pronounce this blessing over our marriages, that it is very good, that you want our marriages to not be one-hit wonders back in the day. Look how passionate we were, but you want us to be like a greatest hits album where every track is on fire, God. And I just pray right now against all the shame that we've been wrestling with, every every bit of shame, every bit of comparison, all the hurt, all the pain, all the unforgiveness, God, all the stuff we've stuffed away, tried to hide, tried to bury. God, I just pray, Lord, that your healing power through the Holy Spirit would begin to touch every sensitive place and that you would mend every broken heart that there would be fresh eyes for each other today. That there would be renewed spirit. And that today you would breathe life into these couples that are struggling, those that are, are doing great, God, I pray that you would guard them by helping them be more intentional about putting you at the center so that there's no opening for the enemy to bring dysfunction and struggle. God, I pray for those that are single, those that are young, and those that are in that place where they're ready for a relationship. God, I pray that you would awaken them to areas in their life that haven't been surrendered to you and that they would make that commitment, God, to put you first right there. That they would make their life grounded and founded on Jesus and the Holy Spirit. That you would show them how to guard their heart, their mind, their ears, God, from... to to be willing to stand up and be strong when their friends are are doing other things, God, that they wouldn't be led and influenced by culture, but they would stand and influence culture by their faith and their commitment to Christ. And I pray, God, that you would help them become the spouse, the kind of spouse that they would want to marry. And I pray for their future spouse. God, I pray for the person you have handpicked for them, God, that you would guard them, you would protect them, you would guide them, God, that they'd be on fire for Jesus. Lord, and at the right time, when the time is right, that you would bring them together. And when they say, I do, if I have the honor to perform that ceremony, God, I pray that that day that they say, I do, they'd be walking together without a pack-pack full of any shame, without fear or worry, and they could have a marriage that glorifies you in all ways. There's so many influences in our world today. I pray, God, the only one we listen to is your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for your love in Jesus' name. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give thank you and God bless